Welcome to Midweek Service here at Riverside Church. We're glad you're here tonight. We're looking at the book of Joshua, chapter number 3. I'm saying that for people who are watching by internet. We're actually going to be putting these services online because our cameras all worked out real good and, and all those good things. If you're listening by podcast, I'm glad you're here tonight or you're listening tonight. We're looking at Joshua, chapter number 3. Uh, we always use our Bible because we choose to believe a Bible here at Riverside because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. They are divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in sola scriptura, which means that the Bible is our highest authority, that the Bible is the one that speaks into our lives and that it commands over us over our lives. Not the government, not our denomination, not our opinions, not our feelings, but the scriptures and the scriptures alone. We also believe in sola fide, which means we have a faith alone. Faith alone, faith means confidence and having trust in something. And that something is not a something, but a someone. It's sola Christus. It's Christ and Christ alone. That Jesus all by himself, for himself, saved us to himself for his glory. We also believe in sola gracia. One of my personal favorites, and it means grace and grace alone. We go to work on Monday, work till Friday. We're earning a wage, but grace is not a wage that you earn. Grace is not a reward for the righteous but a gift to the wretched. Amen somebody. And that all culminates all up in sola deo gloria which is a Latin phrase that means for God's glory and his glory alone. Grab your Bible. Turn to Joshua chapter number 3 tonight. As we spoke about last week, Joshua sends in the two spies and they go into Jericho and they go in and they meet the prostitute Rahab. But we also saw that even though she bore the name of a prostitute, even though she was probably the lowest on the totem pole when it comes to being righteous, that God's grace is able to extend even to her because we find her name in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that even Abraham followed. Father Abraham, the founder of many nations, is someone that we adhere, we we applaud, and we we are glad that Father Abraham is listed under people who are honored, but also Rahab was. And we see her going into the Hall of Fame found in Hebrews chapter number 11. But the story of Rahab is not what we're looking at tonight because the two spies have gotten back to Joshua and they have told Joshua all that they saw in Jericho, the workings of the inside the city and how the city was... Their hearts were melting as they heard about the story of the children of Israel 40 years prior coming up out of Egypt. And at this point, Joshua now, he doesn't gather up his arms and start marching towards the border of Canaan land. He waits and he waits upon the Lord. We look in Joshua chapter number 3 and what we're doing is called expository preaching. Expository preaching, you'll notice here recently we did chronological preaching is where I follow along something in order, not necessarily expository. Expository means you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We are just coming out of expository preaching as we went through Deuteronomy and Exodus because we would have to go through all the laws and a lot of it repeated over and over. But we're doing expository at this point. Look at Joshua chapter 3 verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. 
and set out for Shittim and they came to the Jordan and he all the people of Israel lodged there because they passed before they passed over we see here that Joshua knew that there's a work to be done that Joshua even in his old age as you remember that he's one of the older among the populace him and Caleb were the people from the last generation that God sustained to bring them into the new land because of their faith Caleb and Joshua being the two faithful spies out of the twelve that went into the promised land. And at this point, here we see that Joshua rises early. And it's not because he's older. It's not because he couldn't sleep. But he knows there's work to be done. But we see here that Joshua, if he was, if he is to lead the children of Israel by example, he is rising early for there's a land to be conquered. It's good for our leaders to be be exemplify, exemplify, hold your people in higher standard, hold your deacons in higher standard, even though they're flesh and bone, give them a break, some, give your preacher a break, but it's good for leaders to be those that would set the pace. Here we see Joshua rising early in the morning, and he sets out, and they go up to the Jordan, and they lodge there before they passed over. Notice in verse number 2, we see how long they lodged there. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried over by the Levitical priests then you shall set out from your place and follow it Notice it wasn't Joshua who went through all the camp. As we're looking at a, a, a mobile city here, a, a people who were nomadic. These are people who lived in tents as they have been traveling for 40 years. And God has been faithful to them in those 40 years. There were no 7-Elevens. There were no pit stops and truck stops. They didn't pull off on the exit to refill their camels. They have been going in the desert for 40 years at this point. But God has sustained them. I can't imagine from driving from here to Myrtle Beach and me and my family, we got to stop because somebody's got to use the bathroom or we got to get gas or we got to stretch our legs. But for 40 years, God has sustained them. We don't read anywhere where their tents are dry rotted. We don't read anywhere where their sandals fell apart. For God, His hand was on them and all they possessed. We see here that they stay there three days and the officers go out. The people that were under Joshua go out because the, the crowd was so large. Yeah, 1.5 million of these Israelites were there waiting these three days. Joshua probably gave the command to go into the city and tell the people what is about to go down. Now, we don't read anywhere about the Shekiah glory, which is the pillar of cloud or the the pillar of fire telling them which way to go at this point because at this point they're going to be led by one thing and we read here that it's going to be the ark of the covenant that this will be the thing that will drive them into the land that they are to follow the ark of the covenant now the ark of the covenant we don't have it anymore we don't have it in any church and yes Indiana Jones might have found it in the movie or might not we we don't really we don't look at Hollywood to get our theology but we 
have something better than the Ark of the Covenant as the church now. For in the Ark of the Covenant, we have the law of Moses. But we find that Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses. In the Ark of the Covenant, we had a, we had a bowl of manna. And Jesus tells us that He's the bread of heaven. Amen. We, in the Ark of the Covenant, we have the, 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 the rod of Aaron that budded. And, but we know that Jesus comes from the stump of Jesse. Or He comes from the, the root of Jesse. He blossomed there. And He has grown into a mighty tree where we go and we find our rest in shade in Him alone. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, we see the two cherubim and the place there in between where the high priest would throw blood called the mercy seat. Well, Jesus is our mercy seat because He shed His blood for sinners like you and I. Amen, somebody. So we see here the analogies. We see the imagery of Jesus Christ in the Ark of the Covenants. And the people are to follow the Ark as they go into the new land. And the commanders and the people, they say as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. We see here that Joshua has good men under him. That he has men who are committed to, to help lead, to help undergird and strengthen him. I tell you Riverside, here at here Congregation, we are blessed with some godly leadership. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about our I'm talking about our Sunday school teachers. I'm talking about those who lead our ladies auxiliary. I'm talking about those who rise up and undergird the preaching and the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not pushing against the pulpit. They're not slowing down the gospel. In fact, they're the ones that nod their head while I'm preaching to egg me on like I'm Seabiscuit to preach even harder until I fall over with a heart attack. But glory to God, if I go out here, that's good because that's what I'm doing, what I love. Amen? If you're going to go out, go out here. But glory to God. Here he has, Joshua has people under him helping him to administer. Basically, I told you this was a mobile city, but it's also a mobile church. It was a church without walls because they were following God to the promised land. The Levitical priests, when you see them, you are to set out and follow them is what they tell the congregation or the population in verse number 3. Then in verse number 4, yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way that you should go. For you have not passed this way before. We're going to unpack verse 3 just a little bit. 200 cubits is about half a mile. And if you've got a million people following you, if you're right up on the Ark of the Covenant and God just decides to turn to the left or the right and they're crowded around, the people would not see. So they needed a good distance between the populace and the presence of God. So that's why he tells them to put a little distance between them. It, because he here, the people who are talking to the populace, the people who are telling them and giving them directions are saying, you've never been this way before. So you need to make a little bit of distance between you and God. Many times we see where familiarity breeds contempt. Where you get to know the preacher. There ain't nothing wrong with knowing the preacher. But once you get to know me, you'll find out that I have a lot of cracks and personality falls. I have places where I'm weak and you might hold me in contempt and say, 
Well, he's got problems and issues. Well, don't everybody. Amen. No, he have issues, but you do too. But you don't. See, that's what people, they, they miss the mark. They miss the idea. We, we want a good surgeon when it's time to operate on our hearts. We want people to crack open our chest, to go in there and do it right, and close us back up. Don't leave a scalpel or a sponge in my sternum. And I don't need to know what your hobbies are, but I just want you to do a good job. That's what I want in a surgeon. Uh, the same with being a preacher. I don't need you to come over to all my cookouts. I just need you to be faithful to God and tell me so saith the Lord. You know, that, that might sound a little harsh, but the faithful preachers are hard, far in between these days in many churches. Many people will put playboys in the pulpit and put people in the pulpit to pimp the, the, the congregation, to fleece the flock and get as much money as they can. But put somebody in the pulpit who preaches the gospel and you amen him and amen and say keep preaching preacher as long as he preaches the truth but you'll never know that if you have your Bible closed so have it open before you and be like a Berean like those when Paul was preaching there at Berea they opened the scriptures and they tested him you know what impresses a good uh, faithful preacher is when people are looking down and they're looking at the scriptures and they're looking at it in context to make sure what he's saying lines up with the word of God so we see here that, the, that there's 2,000 cubits between the people, the populace, the congregation, and the presence of God because they need to see where to go. Uh, just like the song, Lord, where you lead me, I will follow. Lord, wherever you are, I want to go. There's a lot of people who stayed at home tonight that should have followed the Lord's command to deny not to assembly together, but they rather watch Jeopardy. They rather watch Will of Fortune. But they don't want to put their lives on the line. Well, many times, like a, over in China, they're putting their lives on the line. My wife told me of just this week, there's a pastor in China who they abducted his wife and they torture her every day. They also snatched his children from him. No, they did not snatch his children. They let his children live there. But they come and pick him up every day and they take him to a communist school for re-education. But he gets to go home to see his daddy but he can't see his mama because she is being tortured every day. And all he has to do to make all this go away is simply stop having church. Oh, let's just, just don't have church. Now imagine if he just stopped having church and his wife came home. Her heart probably broken because she's there as a martyr. She's there because she's a Christian and because her husband is faithful. For every stripe she takes, God is in heaven and he sees. And how broken would that preacher be if he just decides to make it all go away for the sake of family? Uh, what is your price, congregation? What is your price, preacher? What will you do to stop having church? Well, we can have church outside the walls, but do you? Do you gather together to... With the called out believers and have church? Do you worship God or is this where you come like the commandment says come and worship God together? Here we see that there is to be a distance between the presence of God and the congregation because they have not gone that way. They haven't gone that way before. Many times people want more than two, half a mile distance between them and God even though they haven't been that way. We've never been through a pandemic before so some people 
have done their very best to be away from the church. And some people have done their absolute best to be away from the congregation and God's people. Even though we've never been through a pandemic before. I tell you, when trouble comes, we should want to be close to the congregation of God. For where the congregation of God is, there is the shepherd. Amen. We want to be near the church. We want to be near the presence of God. We don't want to stay away. But what about face masks? And what about all that? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Amen. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Preacher, you're preaching all about that stuff, but you don't have a degree. You don't have a degree in the infectious disease. That's right. I'm not a professional. and I'm not polished, but I do know who's on the throne, who reigns forevermore. My hope and my trust is in Him and not in the CDC. I can tell you that. Amen, somebody. But, but we see here that, that He says you've never gone this way before. If you're going in life and you're going somewhere and you've never been that way, before you definitely want to follow the presence of God wherever he goes that's where I'm going to go whatever he calls me to do I'll do it Notice he doesn't call for them to come to the edge of the Jordan because they're going to have to cross the Jordan here in a moment. He doesn't tell them to go rent a put, uh, a John boats and he doesn't tell them to put together rafts. He tells them just to follow him even in the midst of the streams of the river that's swollen because of this time of year. It, the, the Jordan swells at its banks and it floods the outer banks. But here, the people tell the, the leaders tell the congregation just to simply follow the Levites as they carry the Ark of the Covenant. And he tells them, you've got to stay close. This to stay as, much, as close as you can, but stay uh, at a distance so you can see where to go. Uh, the truth of the matter is, many times uh, we can't really see around our problems because we're right up on our problems. Are, are you looking at me tonight? Look, you're right up on your problems so you can't see around you. And all you can see is your problems. Maybe you put a little distance between you and your problems. Step back for a moment and, and then see where God is going. Follow the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourself in verse 5. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And he, when he tells them to consecrate themselves, they didn't have enough time to call up the preacher and say, uh, What do I do? How do I come? You got to know how to consecrate yourself. Listen to me, church. You got to know. What does that mean? Does that simply mean washing your clothes? Because that's what he tells them to do in numbers. Does it mean simply to change your clothes? Because that's as equal as taking a bath. No. He's saying, Set your heart to honor God. To set your heart and mind on the things of God. To consecrate yourself for tomorrow. And in just about 12 hours from now, you're going to see great wonders that God is going to do on your behalf. Is what He tells the congregation of the children of Israel. He says, the Lord will do these wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. You'll notice here that the people who, who were going among the populace, who were going among the children of Israel, they said that the Levites were going to carry because that was standard protocol. But this was a special occasion. All the last 40 years since the ark had been, had been created and built, that Levites carried it on their shoulders. But at this point here, Joshua says, no, 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 the priests... 
Those who are the, the readers of God's law and the teacher of God's people, they will bear on their shoulders the presence of God and they will walk out into the river Jordan. And Joshua said in verse 6, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua in verse 7, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they might know that I was with Moses, so I will also be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. You might wonder, well, why would he tell them to stand? Well, if you did your homework like I called you to do earlier, you've already read why. If they were to keep walking at this point, the edges of their garments would probably have gotten wet and the priests had on the edges of the fringes of their garments little bells as they would go into the Holy of Holies. And when those bells stopped ringing, that, that they knew that that priest was probably dead because he wasn't moving around. And they had a rope around his ankle and they would yank him out because he was unholy in the Holy of Holies. For they were consecrated. But they ain't the only ones that's consecrated according to the command of God. That Joshua told the congregation, he told the people of Israel to consecrate yourself. See, many times as we sit in our pews and we look towards the front, we believe everybody up here is consecrated. Everybody up here has a lifestyle of holiness. And it should be that way. But as they are who appear looking out here, we're wanting the same for you. That you are to be consecrated and you are to be holy. For does not Peter tell us that you are a holy priesthood, a nation of priests, consecrated and holy, set apart, it comes from the word kadash. It's the Hebrew words. It means to. It means to, to basically help us understand. If we had a blanket and we were up here, we were stretching it out and holding it out, and someone took scissors and they snipped off a corner. And they pulled it away. That part that was pulled away for a different reason. For whatever reason. Maybe you're going to make a pillowcase out of it. Maybe you're going to make a bib for your baby. Or, or you're going to make a shirt out of it. You cut it away and use it for something different. That those things that are holy are cut away from culture. They're cut away from society. They're different. They're not the same. They're pulled apart. That's what holy people are. I'd rather you be holy than entertained. I'd rather you be holy. I'd rather you be holy than... You can't say happy. You can't say that because they go together. When a Christian is holy, the Christian is truly happy. For you will be miserable in sin. You'll be miserable in depravity. You'll be miserable running away from God and hiding things from Him. Only when you are holy, you are truly happy. And here Joshua tells the congregation, and not only the congregation, but the priests who are already consecrated, that they are to be set apart. That the people are not to be like the nations of the world. Those nations that are around them, they've already dealt with Balaam and the doctrine 
doctrine of Balaam. If you remember, Balaam made a he made an idea, he made a thought, and he gave it to Balak. And it was the the the, the women of the population would go in and seduce the children of Israel and win their hearts away from God by doing uh, devious acts, and eventually their their hearts were pulled away by lust. But eventually their hearts were taken captive by idol worship. That they are to be set apart to be holy. He tells the congregation that they are to be holy. Well, preacher, don't we pray? Don't we pay you to be holy? <laughs> what? No. Preacher, don't. Isn't that your job to be holy for us? No, that's not. I, I, I wrestle with my own sins. You don't pay me enough. <laughs> Let's just be honest. You couldn't afford it anyway. I, I have to lean, and lean on the pure grace of Jesus Christ. But on judgment day, I will not be your advocate. I will not stand there and brag on to God about this is the prime church member. This person here tithe. This person here was faithful and defend you before holy God because I will need my own advocate. I will need my own redeemer and my own Savior. So who are you depending on? Well, don't I pay your salary? No, you don't. God, God supplies for me. God keeps me and holds me. And if you withhold your tithes, that's fine. God might withhold His blessings on you. I don't know what He'd do. But here we see that Joshua is telling the people that when the priests are to walk out, they were to bear the Ark of the Covenant in verse number 8. When you come to the brink of the waters, you shall stand in the Jordan. And Joshua, verse 9, said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that He will without fail drive out from before the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Pizzarites, the Girarites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you in the Jordan. Joshua tells the people that this is how you know God's with you. That He's getting ready to cross over the Jordan. And if He can get you across the Jordan, He's going to get you over those mountains. He's going to bring you through the valleys. He's going to fight your battles. He's going to hold on to you no matter if you hold on to Him. Amen. Now, verse 12, Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each a tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bring, bearing the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. The way the, way the geography is laid out, that the, that the snow on the mountaintops have melted, and now the Jordan is swelling at its bank. This was the harvest time, so if there was ever a time for an invasion, it was not now. But God works on His own timing. He doesn't have to talk to Colin Powell or any some kind of great military strategist and say, when's the right time to strike? For God is the great I Am and He's able to do all that He pleases. Amen. 
And whenever Israel conquers the land, they'll, they'll boast on Jordan being a place that helps them to be protected. They had the mountain range to the east and they had the Jordan to the south and they had the ocean to the, to the west and they had the Golan Heights to the north and they kept them protected. But God, with a simple flick of his wrist, can drive back the waters. Here we see that Joshua calls that the ark of the Lord of all the earth, not just the ark or the covenant of the Jewish people, that the promise and the covenant of all the earth, that God has made a promise and a covenant with his people. Do you not know what covenant means? It means that it's a swearing, a promising, that ill will will fall upon you if you do not keep your end of the deal. That God made a promise with Abraham and now He has poured out His blessings on the seed of Abraham which are the children of Israel. And we can go back and read in Genesis, Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 49, no Genesis 15 where there was a swearing and a covenant where Abraham, he ripped in half two, two bulls and laid them on each side. And Abraham fell back into a deep sleep. And as he woke up in his vision, he saw a smoldering a cauldron or a, a pot. And there was a flame coming from it, walking in between the two, the two oxen that were slain. And it was God making a blood covenant with Abraham. Even though Abraham didn't bring anything to the table, there was a covenant made. There was a promise made that God said, I will not stop doing good towards you. I will bless you and I will keep my hand on you. I will not withhold anything good from you. And he said he swore by his own name because there was nothing else that he could swear to that was higher. He swore by his own name because there's nothing higher than that. Many people say, I swear on my children's eyes, or I swear on my, my family, I, I swear on my mama's back, I swear on this, and I swear, I promise I'm telling the truth because we want people to believe us, and we swear or try to say, we attest or we promise that this is true, but God said, there's nothing else greater than my name, and I swear by my name. And if He drops the ball, and if He breaks the covenant, if He decides to break off the deal, with the people of God then he ceases to be God he is a liar, a thief and a murderer because he did not hold up on his end of the deal but let me assure you he's not he's not going to change his mind he's not going to drop the ball he's not going to give you new graces and new mercies for he swore by his own name his reputation is on the line and now here the covenant of God is leading them into the promised land they're following the promises of God and that's what you need to do follow the promises of God but Lord the banks are swollen water and the current is great but I'm following your promises. Though the economy is shaky, the president is crazy. Everybody's lost their mind. Wall Street is looking weird. Uh, Lord, I don't know what the economy is going to do. My health is, is tottering. Uh, my mind is shattered. My confidence is shaken. But Lord, I'm walking in your promises. I'm believing what you said. You said you'll never leave me or forsake me. By no means would you cast me out. That you'll leave the 99 to find this one. Lord, I'm 
standing on your promises. Amen, somebody. I'm preaching pretty good for a midweek service, ain't I? Amen. Here they are following the covenant of God. They're following the promises of God. And you need to do likewise. For His covenants and His promises also extend to His church. Were you not here Sunday? Well, I spoke about you being grafted in into the tree of knowledge and grace known as the kingdom of God. As Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And I'm grafting you in. I'm pulling you in. I'm holding you. You're not supporting me. I'm supporting you. Amen. Notice when Joshua says that the, the high priest would simply dip their feet, that the soles of their feet are the only part that gets wet. Well, how is that possible? In verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into Jordan. If you knew that the Lord of who is the covenant of over all the earth, the Lord of promise, the Lord of angel armies is going before you on that job or He's already at home with you with that spouse or He's dealing with those children. If He goes before you, if he, even though we're the ninth month of 2020, some people thought 2020 was the year of vision and they all preached that, but I didn't. I just told you to keep your eyes on Jesus. If you keep following His promises and believing that he is in control you're going to be alright here we see that Joshua says not only are the priests to bear the ark of the covenant I want you to bring 12 men to walk with them now who are these 12 men well they're the 12, 12 leaders of the tribe and they had a job to do as they were getting ready to step out into the Jordan Verse 13, And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And all the waters coming down from above shall be in one heap. That God bends physics. Because He is the creator of gravity. He's the creator. He can bend light. He can, he can raise the dead. He can handle your mortgage. He can handle your unforgiveness and your bitterness and your anger. He can, he can handle your confusion and your uncertainty. This is simple for our God. In verse 14, So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark came as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. Verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood up and rolled up in a heap very far away. At Adam, the city that is beside Zathran, and those flowing down towards the sea of Urhab, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And all the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now I want you to understand, as soon as they came to the bank, as soon as their feet, all the priests, as they touched the water, they didn't walk into the water and it get waist deep and they still hold on to the ark. As soon as their feet touched the bank, the water started to roll back. 
And they walked. And it doesn't say that they walked on muddy ground. They walked on dry ground. And as they walked, they kept walking into the, the river. And the river was dry as there was a highway paved perfect for God's people to go into the promised land. And as those priests stood there, those twelve men that were walking with them, we'll read in verse in chapter number four what they did and what their what their job was. But there we see here in verse at this point we don't know in chapter number three what their job was. The people don't have a clue on why those twelve men get to walk closer to the priest than they do. But they had a job that they were supposed to do. We'll get there. But let's look at verse seventeen. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground. It don't say moist ground. Dry. Dry ground. Like crusty cornbread. Dry, dry ground. It was dry. It could have been dusty at this point that God in His power and His might made the ground dry. Amen. Firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. They didn't need their pontoon boats. They didn't need John boats. They didn't need a bridge. They didn't need any engineers to build a bridge to get over the Jordan. They didn't rely on their ingenuity. They didn't rely on their degrees. They didn't rely on their genius. They relied simply on the Lord. They simply consecrated themselves, set themselves apart from the rest of the world, and they simply followed the promises of God, which is what the church has to do to survive. And let's bring that thing on home, not just the church, but you. You personally. If you get in your car and you look over and say, was he talking about me? Yeah, I'm talking about you. You need to trust God. Simply lean on His promises. Follow Him wherever He leads. Where He leads me, I will follow. Don't let it just be a hymnal in the book that we have in our pew. Let it be the, let it be the song of your life. Lord, wherever You call me, I'll go. And Lord, if You lead me, I know You'll provide for me. For the priest who stood in the middle of the Jordan, God could have simply separated the water without them. But let me assure you, they could not have done it without Him. Ooh, God don't need you. You need Him. He, he is not wanting. He's not looking in the wanted sections trying to fill positions. He's not settling for second best to put a warm body in place. Our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. He puts whom He will wherever He decides. Even in Psalms 139, He puts our, 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 our borders in, in perfect places. That means you were born where you are. You're a place where you are. And the family you're in, wherever you are, He placed you there and He is in full control. So why do you fret? Why do you worry? Why does your pillow fill with tears at night? Why do you rub your hands raw with anxiety? Is God not able? Is He not in control? Does He not control the cyclones? Is He not the God of the weather? Is He not the God of the seasons? Is He not the God who tilts the earth on its axis and causes it to rotate? Is He not God? So now we know in verse number 1 of chapter number 4, if you'll follow with me, why these 12 men walk so closely with the priests. 
When all the nation, in chapter number 4 of Joshua, chapter number 4, verse 1, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, and from every place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them in the place where you lodge tonight. Now as the people are, are passing over, the priests, they're standing in the river. There is no river anymore. These twelve men are working as the people pass over. They're pulling up large stones, one each for each man. Uh, if you were standing in the middle of a riverbed, I'm sure you would not pick up a pebble if you're commanded by God to pull up a stone for a reason. These men hoisted these boulders on their shoulders and they take them to the place where they lodged that night in verse number 4. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take each of you up a stone upon his shoulder attempt according to the number of tribes the people of Israel. And here's why. Verse 6, that it may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come. What do these stones mean to you? What is this monument? Why is this here? Why are there twelve stones? Then you shall say and tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. That when this new generation rises up and those that came over the Jordan, when the older generation who came in to conquer the land, when they've settled in the land and God has fulfilled His promises, they are to bring their children to the bank of the Jordan as a memorial to remember. They'll bring their children to the edge of the Jordan and they'll show them the 12 stones. They'll count them off 1 to 12 and they'll say that each stone is because of a leader that walked close with the priest. That it's not the priest's job to put the stones there, but it's the job of the tribes to do it. It's not the priest's job to go into the household and teach the children the laws of God, but it's the leaders of each household. Are you hearing me? That it's not my job to stop at your house every week to make sure you read in your Bible. Woo! Okay, no amens, but we'll keep going. It's not my job to make sure you tithe. It's on you if you don't tithe. If your heart is so hard that you need to hold on to that $20, you hold on to it because that's all you got. My mama says some people are so poor all they got is money. It's not the preacher's job. It's not the priest's job to lay the stones there as a memorial. It was the men's job. It was their position to tell of the glorious work of God. They'll tell how when we came to the river the river banks were swollen and we didn't know how we were going to get across. We just simply stood back a half a mile and watched God work. Do you hear me? That we stood back and watched God separate the waters and we walked across on dry land. 
We simply watched God blow on the dirt until it was dry. And it didn't even clump on up on our feet or nothing. We weren't even muddy on the other side that He made a way when there was no way that the water heaped up and stopped. Stopped flowing. And we went across with no problems. Can you imagine the bent over tired generation telling about the memorial stones that were placed there when God made a way when there seemed like there was no way. I ask you, what memorial do you have in your life that you'll bring and gather those of the next generation around your rocking chair one day? And that you'll be feeble and tired, but you'll talk about the memorials of God and how He made a highway when there was no way. When He separated something. When He made a way when you could not get through. When you could not build a raft to simply float your way down the stream. No, He stopped the flow of the water and you walked through. Can you tell me what's your memorial? But let us not forget. Let's not forget there is a great memorial there for us already. In your personal life, I'm sure there's some great monument like these 12 stones that you can pass on to another generation. Well, there was a time when my body turned against me, but God touched me and helped me. There was a time when my mind was fragmented and shattered, but God in His sovereignty reached up, picked me up piece by piece, and put me back together the way He wanted to put me back together. There was a time when I was in prison, but God swung open the doors. I could still feel the chains that were on my wrist, but He set the captive free. There was a time, yes, there's probably some stories that you can tell, but let me tell you of a story. you got to remember that this is the River Jordan. And Jordan shows up later in the greatest story ever told. For there was a, there was a young carpenter who was baptized in the same river. Do you hear me? And much like, much like we were baptized by Moses going through the Red Sea, that's how the Jews were baptized. But we were baptized by the work of Jesus Christ when He went down in that water while the Son of God came down in that water and John the baptizer was there and He came up and the Holy Spirit ascended upon Him and God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son. I'm sure glistening in the background as Jesus came up and the glory of God shone upon Him, glistening in the background were those 12 stones. But now they're fading from memory. But we have a new memorial and His name is Jesus. And we lift Him up. We lift Him up and He is a banner. Oh, we, high, we fly Him high. We say there's much about Him. There's no name above His name. He's the great I Am, the Alpha and Omega. He's everything in between. The end and the beginning. He is my God the author and the finisher of our faith. He is Jesus. He is our memorial. He is our cornerstone. He is what we build our lives on. Yes, you can brag on the 12 stones. And that is impressive. That is grand and wonderful. Splitting the Red Sea, that is wonderful. Raining manna down from heaven blows my mind. Oh, that is grand that there was quail for them to eat. But to save, listen to me, to save a sinner like me is next to a 
impossible. Do you hear me tonight? That God saved a sinner like me. So that's my monument. Yeah, you can keep your Mount Rushmore's and your national parks. You can even salute the flag. I ain't got no problem with that. But I'm going to tell you, there's one above all those things. There's one that we can, we have a tear in our eyes and our hearts pitter-patter because He's the lover of my soul. Because He knows my soul. And it's, it's a wonder that He loves me and His mercies are new each morning. Oh, there's none like Him. He's the fairest of 10,000. The lily in the valley. The day spring. The bright and morning star. There is none like Him. And His name is Jesus. Oh, amen. Praise His name. That yes, you can have your 12 stones, but I just need one Jesus. My hope is not found in nothing less but in Christ and His righteousness. Let me, let me bring it down a minute. Amen. Oh, that is wonderful to me. To the people of Israel as a memorial forever. I don't know if you go over now that the stones are still there. I don't know. I don't have a degree from Mount Oliver or any fancy college. And it says it'll be a memorial forever. And I believe it's a memorial forever. But there's a name, there's a, there's a name that will last forever. One day my name will be etched in some kind of granite and put in some graveyard and my bones will be under that granite and the weather will come and go and that name will fade over time and people will forget all about me. But they'll never forget the name of Jesus. His name will last for now until the end of time. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen, somebody. And verse number 8. Joshua chapter number 4, verse 8. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel. Just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they had lodged and laid them down. Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan and the place where the feet of the priests bearing the rock of the covenant had stood. And there, there are to this day, Joshua said it ain't enough to just have them on the bank on the other side. Let's go into the middle of the river and put rocks to show it as a memorial that our God will provide for the priests Bearing the rock, bearing the ark stood in the midst of the river until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people passed over with haste. And all the people had finished passing over in the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. And the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses told them. Remember in verse number 12 how Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe, they came with them to battle, to fight for their brothers, to, to capture the land, the promised land. In verse number 13, about 40,000 ready for war passed over before the lawful battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel. And they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. It's not that Joshua was special. It's not that Joshua came from a holy background or he came from a lineage of pedigreed people. It's that he honored God. 
He trusted God. And the thing about that is God would be no debtor to no man. If you honor God, He will honor you. I'll say that again so some people can grasp what I'm saying. Simply, if you honor God, He honors you. Regardless of what people say about you, or they start rumors about you, or if they even prefer you, as long as He prefers you, that's all that matters. We see here that Joshua had all of the uh, the respect of the people, much like Moses had. In verse 15, the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the rock of the testimony to come up, up the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up onto dry ground, and the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed its banks as before. Now you must understand there's something, there is something unprecedented that we see in verse number verse 17, no, verse 16. The Lord said to Joshua, verse 15 is what it says, the Lord spoke directly to Joshua. But do you remember that we spoke about in Deuteronomy chapter 33 that God was not going to speak to Joshua like He spoke to Moses. And He told Joshua that. For He spoke to Moses as a friend face to face. But here, God speaks to Joshua. Could it be back in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy when God told Joshua, I'm not going to speak to you and talk to you like I did to Moses to see how Joshua would react. What do you mean you ain't going to treat me like you treated Moses? Haven't I been faithful? I know Moses was on the mountain, but I was too. I was faithful. Wherever Moses went, I was there with him. No, Joshua simply said, as you say, O Lord, I will trust you. And here he does. He still shows grace and mercy towards Joshua. Many times God will do things to you to test you. And many times just to stir you up to show you what's really in you. Much like a, a mason jar with a little bit of mud in it and the rest of it with water. If you take that mason jar and you start to swirl that mason jar up, that mud will cloud the rest of the mason jar. But once the mason jar is sat on the table and all that mud settles down to the bottom of that mason jar, that water's clear. Much like our lives. Whenever something comes our way and something bad happens, it ain't the devil that made you, did it? It was already in you. You are that mean. You are that hateful. You're that bitter. And it just so happens you got stuck in traffic and it manifested. It just so happens they said that about you and you about flipped your lid. It just so happens they looked at you cross or said something or somebody did this or somebody stated an opinion that you did not like and that what was already dormant in you rose up because it's in you. Joshua simply could have got mad at God and said, well, you ain't going to treat me like you treated Moses. And said, oh, I quit. I resigned. Here's my resignation. He simply trusted God and followed God wherever he went. Lord, treat me however you will. For I know you are just, you are holy, and you are fair. No, let's be honest. We don't want fair. Because if we got fair, we would all get hell. Lord, you are merciful and gracious to me. You are kind and gentle. The fact that you even take time to hear my prayers is a mercy in itself. Thank you, Lord. So here Joshua is having contact with God. God is speaking to Joshua as He spoke to Moses. And I'm sure it humbled Joshua. 
So the thing about this is the closer you walk to God, the closer you are to Jesus, the less pride you have to deal with because you see how, how feeble and how broken you are. For Jesus said, outside of me, you can do nothing. He didn't say you can do 80% of the job. He didn't say you can work at 50%. He didn't say you can be at uh, uh, two, uh, 2.5 opening. He didn't say, he didn't say that, that, that you can get halfway done or you can do the best you can. No, He said, outside of me, you can do nothing. You can't be a good wife or a good husband. You can't be a good grandma. You can't be a good friend. You can't be a good spouse. You can't be a good sibling. You can't be a good church member. You can't be a, a part of society outside of me. You can do nothing. It ain't just church. It's, he meant everything. Outside of me, you can do nothing. Once you walk in that scope, you understand it's Jesus who undergirds you. It's God who holds you. It's God who keeps you. You walk a lot more humbly. There's a lot less pride when you understand who's in control and who's not. Here, Joshua, he commands the priest like God calls him to. And then the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant, they came out, and it says they came up on dry ground. Don't say their knees were muddy. Don't say their waists were wet. And I'm sure it was much deeper than six foot. Uh, we were passing by the Nile, no, not the Nile, but the Noose River just today, and I was noticing how wide that river is. And I know the Jordan is much more wide, but I could imagine the canyon that's cut because of the water that flows under the Noose River. As they would walk down in the Jordan, I'm sure that God provided a road. He provided for them. As they went down in the valley, it was dry, and they came up on the other side still dry, not even misty, not even wet. And Anyway, but God provided and helped them. In verse number 19, the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when our children ask, their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the people of the earth will know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. He explains to the people why the stones are there. He tells them why they went through the valley that used to be a river. He explains to them uh, what, what God has done in the last 40 years in that generation. That He will be one to provide for them and keep them. Now, to put this thing and bring it on home... We're in the middle of a pandemic. Well, not, but not about me in the middle. I don't know where we are. It was supposed to be uh, 14 days to bend the curve. But we're, I don't know. We're about 89th day into it. I don't know. And I'm not going to stand up here to tell you what's going to happen next or what's going to go down. But at the end of all of this, when the pandemic is over, when you're on the other side of the, the valley or the Jordan, and you have a memorial there, and you can turn and look at that memorial and say, this is what God did for me during that time. 
He held me together. He held on to me. He held me and kept me. He drew near to me and I drew near to Him. Now there's some people who ain't going to have much of a memorial. They're all they'll have is COVID-19. The 19 is the 19 pounds they gained. That's all they got because they ate all the snacks in the house and they, they just stayed in the house and didn't do anything. But what will you have on the other side of this Jordan? God provided you through it. He's kept you through it. And when you get on the other side, what will you show generations? When your hair is gray or you still don't have hair, whatever at the end of your days, when you gather your loved ones around, you say, let me tell you. Let me tell you a memorial how God kept me and held on to me. How He did not forget me in the middle of it all. When the government had lost their minds. When the community went and scrambled and bought all the toilet paper. Whenever there was no more change in the stores. You couldn't use money at Walmart. Whenever, whenever everybody has lost their minds and they covered their faces and hid from a virus. God kept me and held on to me. Amen. He did not forsake me. He didn't forget my name. He, he held me close. That's my memorial. That's what I ask you. After it all, what would you say? What would you do? What would you, how would you show Him? How would you brag on Him? How would you show Him off how He's been faithful through it all? Tonight I want to thank you for 